Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you guys. I've missed you guys. So I've got a lot of things to say and not a lot of time to say it. <clears throat> so I'm going to pray. Lord, help me. Speak through me. God, soften our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So we've been talking about the kingdom values. Well, no, today we're talking about kingdom values. We've been talking about the kingdom in this series, what the kingdom of God is. Uh, how it's defined. And today we're going to talk about kingdom values. But first, so the kingdom is the rule and reign of Christ in our lives. It's the realm of the heavenly lived out here in our hearts. It's not a physical place. It's not a nation. It's not somewhere you can go to. It's in here. And it's what we do. It's here. It's now. Because we're believers. So one of my favorite verses in Colossians, which defines our, our spot in the kingdom, is Colossians verse 1. No, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the power of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's where we are. Boom, we're here. We're here in the kingdom of God. He redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness. He forgave us and he brought us into his kingdom. So, as believers, that's where we're at. We're forgiven, we are free, but then we're submitted to his rule and reign. So, <clears throat> we're talking about the kingdom of God to better understand how it plays itself out in here and now because that's where we're at, right? We're not in heaven yet. We're here and now. So, what it looks like individually, in our families, in our communities, and in the, in the world. So, what are the values of the kingdom? We like to talk a lot about values in our society. Sometimes I feel like we're bombarded with them. Uh, we like to talk about, hey, he's got good values. Hey, I'm going to vote my values in November. Uh, especially in the Bible Belt, we like to talk about good old Christian values. And then if you want to win an election, you say, oh, conservative Christian values. You know, uh, we'll talk about that family has bad values. Or, oh, man, that, that poor boy, he didn't grow up with good family values. So what we're really talking about is uh, a person's or a family's or an organization's code of ethics, the principles they live by. Because that actually shows what you value. So when we talk about principles and code of ethics and what we live by, you don't just choose one randomly. You don't just try it on like a shirt. It's like, ah, oh, it didn't fit, and throw it away. You know, uh, you, you usually choose it based on what you value, what's important to you, uh, who you identify with and what you identify with. Like, uh, for instance, your family's values. You know, a lot of us have chosen our, our values and principles and how we live based on what our family does, uh, what they've always done. Uh, you know, a Seawaltz, we wear bright colors. Although today, I'm not really wearing bright colors. But we love colors. The Seawaltz, that's our value. Um, you've, got, uh, you've got American values, right? America. All right, American values. Republican values. Democrat values, libertarian values. Well, which one of those values looks most like the kingdom? None of them. Pieces of some of them, and then pieces of it is totally nothing like the kingdom. So who's more right? None of them. For those of us in the kingdom, believers, we don't get to just sign off on some organization or party uh, principles or values. We don't get to just sign off and say, okay, we're living kingdom values, no. We have to identify and continue to identify with the kingdom 
because this culture and the kingdoms of this world do this. And sometimes they intersect with God's, God's kingdom and sometimes they don't. And we've gotta be defined by, by God's kingdom. We've gotta live with the values of a sinner saved by grace and precious, a precious child of God, rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his son. That's how we have to live. Those are the principles we need to live by. We can't substitute national principles or nationalist ideas for the principles of the kingdom, even if it makes us feel good, even if it makes us feel better to be more pro-American than, than we are pro-Jesus. We gotta be pro-Jesus and his kingdom. We serve and worship a king. That's who defines our principles and our values. We're not defined by a party, a country. Um, there's no borders to God's kingdom. Uh, we're not gonna force this realm either into being like the kingdom. As much as we might try, because I feel like in America, it was like, hey man, if we could just get all the prayer back in school, if we could eliminate abortion, then we could, get, we could, we could make America God's kingdom. But we're never gonna do that. God won't allow it because nothing here will ever be God's kingdom because then we'll start trusting in it. So we've been trying to do this even since the Tower of Babel. Uh, in Genesis 11:4, this is after the flood and God's trying to get everybody to populate and fill the earth again. So he wants them to be scattered, fill the earth. This is what they say. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. We don't want to be scattered. That's scary. Let's stay together. Let's be secure. And so that's exactly what God didn't want. So he helped them out. He confused them. He made them speak different languages. So then they didn't speak the lang same language. They didn't agree on everything anymore and they spread out. And that's what God wanted. Because what would have been the end result? It would have been a kingdom unto itself and it would have been empty. So God really helped them out because we're not designed to put our trust in anything else but him. They would have put all that work into that and it would have still been empty. Because the kingdom of this world, ultimately what they want and what they're after is power, success, comfort, security, and resources. That's not our values in the kingdom. So what are the, what are the values of the kingdom? What's the code of ethics for the kingdom of God? Jesus defines it here in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, you know, everyone's probably heard these verses before. Then one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving he had answered them well. So here's this scribe, you know, I'm, a, I'm such an expert in the law. Hey, look, that carpenter's over there teaching. He sounds pretty smart. Let's stump the chump. So he comes over, he says, hey, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is just like it. It's this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, good job, carpenter. You've answered well. <laughs> um, he said, yeah, there is one God, and there is no other but he and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all of the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He said it's more than the traditions and everything, every single law that we've ever made. It's more than that. It's all contained in these two things. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength, with all your, with all your soul and understanding, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's all the things. It's more than all the fluff and stuff in our life, uh, the pressures, the expectations of this world, the expectations we put on ourselves. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is, this is what defines what we should live by. It's so simple, right? It's just two things, but it's hard. But you know what? God never asks us to do what he can't allow us to do, and he equips us to do. So the first one is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and understanding and all your soul. So the first value of the kingdom is to value God above all else and be in fellowship and relationship with him. And that's wonderful. That was the whole plan. That's the whole plan. That's why we're here today. That's the, that's the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And eternal life's not just when you're gone from here. It starts now. It's a relationship with him. It's knowing God the one who lovingly created you and, and wants to be with you and be in a relationship with you. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 7 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We're united with him now. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault, in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us into himself through Jesus Christ. This was what he wanted to do from the very beginning and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He brought us to himself and he planned it with joy from the beginning. That's who our God is. That's our king. That's, that's, the, that's who we value. So our identity is in him. It's not in ourselves anymore. It's not anything out here. It's him, and we're defined by our, uh, how we are united with him and how much he loves us. So Jesus says, um, he gives a parable, and y'all have probably heard this before. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and buys that field. And he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, he went and he sold all the, that he had and bought it. When we have an encounter with Jesus and he, we have an encounter with his love, it's that treasure, it's that pearl of great price, we realize that he is the pearl of great price and it changes us and it changes what we do and how we act. We leave everything behind, we sell everything we have to have him. And that's, that's what our life should, should look like. That's what it should be defined by. How do we know him, though? What's practically, how can we know God? How can we make him of number one value in our life? Well, first is to receive salvation and come to him. Uh, come into relationship with him. Let him forgive your sins. Let him bring you to himself. And then, it's in prayer, it's in worship, it's in studying his word. It's in seeking him. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your understanding. That means to seek him. That's, that's the, the one value is to, to continually seek this relationship with God, to know him, to know him more clearly, to know who we are in him. I mean, that's a, that's a recipe for, for awesome. This is what I want you to do. I want you to learn how to love me and let me love you. 
Man, that's not a heavy commandment. That's a, that's a commandment that should give us joy. We get to know God who loves us. He's our biggest fan. He's crazy about us. And so as we get to know God, our values change because our values begin to look more like his. So as we work on our relationship with God, he works on us. And then we, we get to submit different parts of our lives to him as he reveals uh, stuff to you. So I'm different than I was when I first came to Christ. And how many of you are different than now than you were when you first got saved? Because it's a process. And God wants to fill every part of your life. He wants every single part of your life to be submitted to him. And uh, so this, this kind of lays it out in Ephesians 1.9. God has now revealed to us the mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Everything in your life, he intends to bring under the authority of Christ. And as we mature in him, that happens in us. There's things now that I have submitted to Christ that, that I didn't before. I, I didn't see it. And as I have an encounter with him and his presence and his word, and as I walk with him, he shows these things and he reveals to me. It's like, oh man, I need to give that to you, Lord. I need you to change that in me. I need you to make that look like the way you want it to look like. And that's his kingdom plan for everything. Not just you individually, but that's what we should look like as a church and how the kingdom of God should look in the world is that we are people being changed as we get to know God better and better. So the second value of the kingdom is love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty simple, right? We say it all the time. Treat others like you want to be treated. But that's not what he's saying He's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Love them as much as you love yourself. But we can't do that without God. We can't do that without the first thing, which is to know and love the Lord your God with all your heart because we don't know who we are without him. There's no way you can love yourself because you don't know who you are apart from God. You can spin your wheels and try. You can do your best, but you're never gonna love yourself because you don't know yourself apart from your creator. So, This same love, so this is what God wants to do. This same love that he loves us with, he wants us to give it to others. He wants you to love people the way that he's loved you. And when you think about that, that's freaking hard. That's really hard. So as you and I discover that, and as we grow in our relationship with God, he empowers us to love people the way he loves us because his love changes us. We see people differently. And as you, as you grow in any relationship with somebody, you know, when you're married to somebody after 12 years, you start to adopt their values. Your values start to change. And it's the same thing with Jesus. The longer you walk with him and the more you seek him to understand him and to know him and to love him, your values change. And so as we're changed by his love and we see that he tells us to love others the way he loves us, our principles should reflect that in our values. In John 13, after Jesus washes his washes his disciples' feet, he says, just as I've done to you, do to each other. I want you to wash each other's feet. I'm giving, you a, I'm giving you an example here. I want you to do something really smelly for each other, something really dirty. Just bear each other's burdens. Do something that you don't really want to do. This is, how, this is how you show your love for one another. He says, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus 
took the burden of all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame. That's how he loves us. And he wants us to love others that, that way. That's hard. But he said, people are gonna know that you're mine because of the way you love each other. It's gonna blow their minds. They're like, how? How does that, how does that work? They're not gonna know us by how we vote, what laws we get passed, how big our church is, by our successes, even by our failures. They're gonna know us by the way we love each other. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is gonna come to power and operate different than any other kingdom you've ever seen. I'm not gonna, I'm not, my kingdom's not gonna come by dominating and um, capturing people and taking over nations and wars. It's not gonna be like any of that. It's gonna be how my people love each other. It's gonna be how my people love the nations. It's gonna be astounding because that's the way God is. And that's the reason in heaven, the angels sing holy, 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 and they never stop because they're continually astounded by who God is. It's like, you're different. You, you do things completely different. The things that, the way things should work, you do something totally different. There's no one like you. Who thinks this stuff up? Holy, holy, holy. So Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, that when it's sown in the ground, it's smaller, than any of the seeds on the earth. But when it's sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs, all the other garden vegetables. It has large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. It stands out, of, of, I mean, the mustard plant stands out among all the other plants. And Jesus said, this is what I do. I take something small and insignificant, unimportant, and I, I plant it and I make it grow. And it, and it astounds everything else around it. It stands out. So we should stand out. The kingdom of God stands out among all other kingdoms. So, who's my neighbor? You know, that's everybody. <laughs> Especially people who are different than you. Jesus gives examples of this when he teaches in the Gospels. Um, he talks to Samaritans, which Jews didn't talk to Samaritans back then. He talked to women as equals. Men didn't talk to women. They were less than. He even made a Samaritan a hero of one of his stories, one of his parables. And that, you know that drove the Jews crazy because it's like, those stupid Samaritans, you made them a hero in your story? Who is this guy? He tells his disciples to love his enemies, love their enemies. He tells us to love our enemies. And then he shows us how to love our neighbor. He gives his life to pay for the sin of the world. So how can we be practical about it, right? What does that look like in our lives? In the church and in the community? Because um, Jesus says that to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and to love each other as I love you, it sums up all, the, all of the laws and the prophets. These two principles sum everything up, up until now. Everything is in these two things. So, how do we do that? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? How do we love others as Jesus loved us? How do we do it practically? Andy Stanley sums it up in a simple but powerful question, and I, I love this. It says, what does love require of me? What does love require of me in my marriage, in my family, in my work with people who are difficult to work with, in church where people are imperfect and they're different from me? What does the love of God given to me freely and graciously, what does it require of me? in all situations. So as the church, what should we look like? Because we're of the kingdom, we're not of these kingdoms. 
so Tim Keller, he's one of my favorite pastors, and uh, you know, I love most of what he says, and he, when he quotes somebody, I really listen. So he quotes Larry Hurtado. He said, the Christian church, the early Christian church stood out among other communities with five elements, and I wanna look at these real quick. They were multiracial and multi-ethnic. They were highly committed to the poor and the marginalized. They were non-retaliatory. They didn't take revenge. They were committed to forgiveness. They were strongly and practically against abortion and infanticide, and they were com committed to sexual purity. This is, this is what made them stand out. And so you, you look at those, you look at those elements, you're like, hey, man, that, that sounds like conservative values. Oh, but, hey, but some of those, they, they sound like democratic uh, liberal values, like right on. No, I mean, every once in a while, the world's values in this culture intersects with what, what the kingdom is. And that's great. But we're defined, this has always been God. We're defined by him. So, let's look at this. Multiracial and multi-ethnic. Um, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, and you're an heir according to the promise. So the world's never seen anything like this before. The church of God, followers of Jesus, coming together and worshiping one God. Uh, rich, poor, black, white, uh, different nations, different nationalities, different classes, they were all together. And it was attractive, but then alarming, because they're like, what are they up to? This isn't right. What's in it for them? It stood out because they'd never seen it before. They've never seen people worshiping together at the same table, eating from the same table, fellowshipping, no matter what their background was, because they were all devoted to one God, one God who loves us and sees us all as precious in his sight. So they were also devoted to one another. They were not just getting together, they were devoted to each other in community. They loved each other. And this is what Jesus prayed for in John 17, verse 20. He said that they may be one as you, Father, and I are in me, and I in you. That they might all be one, that in us the world may believe that you sent me. He said, Lord, let them be unified like me and you are unified. So that the world knows that you sent me. That they are one, just like me and you are one, Father. So, for that reason... I can stand up here and I can say, Black Lives Matter. And I'm not talking about an organization or what a trend is right now. I'm talking about kingdom values. And if you're worried about where that aligns me politically, you're missing the point. Because this is a kingdom value. We're focusing on God's kingdom. I'm saying, Black Lives Matter to God, and they're precious to Him. They are fearfully and wonderfully made in His sight. And it's not that other lives don't matter. I'm just saying, Right now, in this nation, as a value of Christ, we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. This is what, means, what it means to be devoted to one another. It's not just, hey, you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing. No, we're bearing each other's burdens. In Galatians 6, 2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what's the law of Christ? Love one another as I have loved you. So, in a way, I'm taking up their burden with them when I say that. And that's what being devoted to each other looks like. I'm saying as a person who has been racist, 
has, has thought racist thoughts. I've been indifferent to the suffering of black people in this nation. And as God has matured me and as I've walked with God, he's shown me things, wrong things that I've thought. Um, some beliefs, some wrong beliefs that I've had. That I was too concerned with my own comfort and my own life to be bothered by someone else's suffering, right? To, to be able to sit down and listen and hear black people that, that after 300 years of suffering and oppression in this nation, they feel like they don't matter. So God prompted me to start listening. And yeah, it, what's going on in our nation right now has really prompted me to start listening. It's, and it should prompt us to listen to God and say, huh, what's going on here? What do you think, God? So, because I'm saying there's a stigma in America with being black, and yes, they've been overlooked, dismissed and marginalized, and it needs to stop. But it has to stop first with you and me. We have to do that in our own lives. We need to take up their cause, or anybody's cause, and for them to be treated equally. We should want for them to have everything that we have, all the privileges we have, all the freedoms we have. We should want that for them too. And the world would say, well, why do you even care? Because that's what Jesus wants. He says that there's no Jew, no Greek, nor male, nor female. Everything that I have, anything that I enjoy and love, I want them to have. Because I'm precious to God and they are too. So also, as a church, we need to make an effort to be in relationship and fellowship with people different than us. Because it's easy to be in relationship with people just like you. It's fluid, you don't have to think about it. But as a church, and what the church should look like is multi-ethnic, diverse, because that's what Jesus prayed for, that they may all be one as you and I are one. And he didn't pray that not thinking about how different we would be. The Bible says he lavished his love and grace on us with all wisdom and insight. He knew all the things, all the ways we would be different. And he said, I want them to be one as, as we are one. But that takes effort. We have to make that effort. So this kind of blends in with another visible element that really made the Christian church stand out is they were highly committed to caring for the poor and the marginalized. We need to be highly committed to caring for the poor and the people who've been pushed aside by the kingdoms of this wor world. Uh, it's, it's a call to take up other people's burdens, whether it's monetary, social, emotional. Um, this stood out in the early church because um, it wasn't natural to take care of outsiders, to be burdened by outsiders' needs. But Jesus laid out an example for us that while we were still enemies of the cross, strangers to him, he died for us and brought us close. And so that's something that we need to live out too. And so maybe that looks like different things in our lives. Maybe that's, that's giving to the poor, uh, providing education, uh, providing jobs, providing Christmases, giving hope to people to, to let them get over that next hump in their life. And sometimes that means taking up a cause of somebody who's not in your circle, being an advocate for them in your society. That's what that looks like. So you gotta ask yourself, what does love require of me? What does God's love require of me? Sometimes it takes us standing up for something that's not popular, that kind of ruffles some feathers. But what does love require of me? What is the kingdom value? How can I love my neighbor as myself, even if it offends other people? The third element is they were 
They didn't retaliate. They were marked by a commitment to forgive. The early church was persecuted. They were killed. They were discriminated against. They were constantly trying to, uh, kingdoms of this world were trying to snuff them out constantly. And how did they respond? They forgave them. They embraced their enemies. They brought them into community with them. And that turned the world upside down. It's like, here's these people. We keep trying to kill them. And they keep loving us back. What is up with that? And it turned the world upside down. It's the reason we're standing here today. So, what does he, they asked with their enemies, what does love require of me? What does love require of you and your enemies? They were also strongly and practically against abortion and infanticide. I have trouble with that word. But, um, babies who were left to die, abandoned, the early church adopted them. They bring them in. They, they uh, raised them. They made room in their lives for them. That's what being pro-life is. They didn't vote pro-life and just call it a day. Boom, check the box, I'm done. No, the, the ba- babies back then were killed for the same reason they are today. They don't think they can afford them. They don't think they can raise a kid alone. They're, they're aborted to cover up an unwanted relationship, unwanted uh, sexual encounter. And so it takes a community, it takes us saying, you know what, we're gonna support adoption. Jesus loves kids. We're gonna, we're gonna make room for kids in our life. That's a value to us, that's important to us because it was important to Jesus. It's an important to uh, the early church and that's what makes us stand out. So the last one is really tied to this about being pro-life. Okay, so the, the, the church really stood out because it's committed to the Bible's teaching about sex being only for marriage. Yeah, that was crazy in that day because just like today, sex has been twisted and turned into just an appetite or an impulse. Well, you know, we just gotta do it, you know. It's just, no, God created it as a means of intimacy between a man and a wife and it can be only enjoyed fully in a committed, safe relationship. And this is the way that he chose to create life here on this earth and family. It's a wonderful thing. And so we have a problem in this world with abortion because we want to play around with sex. We want to twist it. We want it to do what we want it to do instead of what God designed it to do. And we've, we've turned it into an appetite. And so when we fulfill that appetite, we just want to cover up the consequences and that's where you get abortion. That's where it comes into play. So we can be pro-life, not just by adopting and supporting those who adopt and being advocates for adoption, but really to solve the problem at its root, we can be committed into submitting to sex only in marriage and having great marriages, showing the world that marriage, God's plan for marriage works and it's awesome and it's a great joy uh, by raising thriving families, godly families, by being great fathers and great mothers and being great fathers and mothers to, to those who didn't have great fathers and mothers. This is, how, this is how the kingdom of God is going to work and stand out among other kingdoms. And this is how God works. So you're not pro-life if you're sleeping around. If you're not pro-life if you're having sex outside of marriage. You're not pro-life if you're watching pornography. Because all those things further the final consequence of abortion. So we as a church have to show that marriage is the best place for commitment and sex. 
and raising families is great joy. And we're raising kids that honor their bodies and honor other people's bodies. First uh, Corinthians six eighteen says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to God. We belong to God. We're not our own just to throw away, to do whatever we want with. We belong to him. So, what does love require of us? What does love require of us in these five things? What does love require of you with commitment to sexual purity? So there's a lot, of, a lot at stake this election year, just like every other year. And it's our witness. It's our witness about who God is and who we are as the kingdom of God. So let's be careful not to get distracted because there's a lot of things we can get distracted. There's just some things not worth having an argument about because what we're the most loud about shows what we value the most. So what, do we, what should we value the most? God himself and people? That's what we need to be about. So, and it's, it's so easy. It's so easy to get into stuff. It is. It is. But we don't need to do that. We need to be loud about Jesus. Don't be loud about other things, even on Facebook. Be loud about Jesus, who he is, what he's done in your life, how much he loves you, how much he loves people. Because the world is watching, and they'll always be watching, no matter what election year it is. They're watching all the time to see what we're going to do. What did, what did these people who call themselves Christians do? Is that real or fake? Is it genuine? And we want... We want them to know that we belong to Jesus by the way we love each other. So, what are our values? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Two simple things are the answer to all of the questions. But it's complicated and it's hard. So, you have to ask yourself, what does love require of me? And then ask God to help you do that. So, I'm going to go ahead and pray because I'm done. (laughs) Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are in our lives. Thank you that you love us beyond our imagination. That you love us. That you brought us close. Lord, teach us to love each other the way you love us. We just ask for your strength and your power to do that. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would work through your word and you would reveal to us the areas of our lives that aren't submitted to you. Show us, Lord. We want to grow closer to you. Bless us this week as we go out. Help us to be the kingdom of God. Help us, help people to know that we belong to you because we love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.